Hello there, thanks for listening. This is The Matrix is Real. My name is Neo. Thank you for joining me today. So, wanted to talk to you today about something that's sure to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable or something you've heard before that's definitely made you feel uncomfortable because it has for me. But I wanted to talk to you about Jesus today. Now, before you jump to conclusions, um, I am not your typical Bible thumper, your typical... Um, you know, churchgoer. Um, I actually was asked as a young child to leave uh, a church. Um, both myself and my mother were asked to uh, stop attending. Um, for me specifically, it was because I was asking a lot of questions that the church wasn't equipped to, to answer or handle. Um, so the, the better solution was just to ask a young child to not come anymore. Um, but what I wanted to talk about today regarding Jesus is you have any background in Christian theology, you know, you attended Sunday school, uh, went to church, did reading on your own, that sort of thing. Um, I'm sure you're, you're familiar with uh, the, the book of Revelation and the prophecies that go along with it. Now, the mark of the beast is something that's been discussed for a long, long time by many different people. Um, the, the, the biggest point that seems to always be touched on is uh, the number of the beast, which is 666. Uh, it seems that everyone is, is pretty much aware with these prophecies, but it's just incredible to me that in real time, as COVID-19 is um, being used to silence and enslave the masses, um, they are literally rolling out the mark of the beast right in front of everyone's eyes. And not only are Christians or people that claim to serve God and follow Jesus, not only are these people, because I'm not, I'm not excluding anyone. If you know the truth about Jesus, you would know that Christians are not the only people uh, of God. Um, Jesus understood the idea of oneness and that all children of God are children of God. So um, the information I have really unites three of the um, biggest religions on this planet, um, of course, being Christianity, uh, Islam, and Judaism. So right now, what boggles my mind even more so is not only are people seemingly unaware of what's going on with regard to the mark, but you actually have churches literally handing these out, handing the COVID-19 vaccine out, which in my opinion is the mark of the beast. Now, why do I say this? Well, uh, if you were paying attention a couple months ago, the prospect and idea of COVID passports, which have also been called immunity passports, freedom passports, that sort of thing. Um, that was crackpot tinfoil conspiracy theory, you know, um, just like how people were mocking people like me and laughing when uh, the, the, the first COVID-19 vaccines started being released. They said, you know, there's no microchip in it. Bill Gates isn't going to be able to, you know, turn you into a Microsoft product, blah, 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 ha, ha, ha. It's, you know, all funny, hilarious. But um, that's usually how people dismiss truth when they can't uh, even discuss it is they just laugh it off. But now here we are and... COVID passports have not only become a reality on this planet, uh, in, in major Western, um, quote, democracies, such as the United States of America, um, they're actively being rolled out. 
So I don't know if you saw the the news this week, but uh, the Biden administration is actually working with uh, um, a different different number of groups and businesses uh, trying to basically put out a COVID passport, which will show your vaccination status against COVID-19. But as a result, will allow you or not allow you to uh, transact in society. Um, if you have ever been to China, if you're aware of what's going on in China, um, they have what's called a social credit system where uh, it's think of it like your FICO score, your credit score. Um, but this is this is a score given to you by essentially the government um, based on your decisions and your activities. Um, and if you don't have a high enough social credit score, uh, you cannot engage in regular activities like getting a bus ticket, getting on an airplane, crossing state lines, that sort of thing, leaving the country potentially. Uh, I've also seen people getting jaywalking tickets in real time. Uh, part of the part of the push for this style of system is uh, in conjunction with the rollout of 5G. Uh, technology, that the, the next generation of uh, wireless technology for cell phones. Um, also, all these uh, satellites that are being launched into space uh, by uh, SpaceX and Amazon, all these other companies. Um, it's basically to create a global electronic grid that allows uh, the powers that be to monitor and surveil us in real time. And uh, the example I gave, like in China, using these uh, smart uh, cameras. You know, the CCTV cameras, there's also a lot of the uh, spark technology is in a lot of the street lights these days, even in the actual light bulbs sometimes. You know, you have the, uh, the Wi-Fi smart light bulbs by Amazon Alexa and that sort of thing. So imagine crossing the street in the United States of America and, you know, one of these cameras picks up your face and immediately scans a database where they can immediately identify who you are. And as a result, they find you a, a social credit score or maybe even uh, um, try to enforce a, uh, a monetary fine on you and it's all done instantly um, they even try to shame people in China this example I'm giving a, a lady jaywalked and all over the, uh, the the screens in the general area I think she was just you know in, in downtown uh, city in downtown China or something like that um, all her face gets plastered all over and it says that she's jaywalking so not only do you experience real, um, real consequences that you experience and feel, but you also are experience the shame that goes along with it. And that's kind of what's happening over here. The face masks up until this point, um, if you look at history, face masks have always been used on races that, that have been uh, conquered and subsequently enslaved. Um, masks were used all throughout uh the slavery of, of, of black Africans uh, in the United States uh, colonies and in the United States of America. And, um, you know, that's the same thing going on today. If you notice, people are a lot less talkative about, people uh, um, much more fearful. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's achieving exactly what it always has throughout history. But now you're going to take it a step further. And these, uh, these COVID passports essentially are, are tra transforming this world into a global prison system. I remember reading uh, in, in high school about World War II and the rise of Nazism in, in Germany, and I'd always shake my head and go, how was it that, that the good people of Germany 
you know, not the Nazis, but the, the regular people that were that were part of uh, of the of, of, of you know of the, of the regular population. How is it that they saw all this happening and they did nothing? You know, it, it, they were not just asking Jews for their papers. They were asking everyone for their papers uh, to, to, to tell them whether or not they could go where they wanted to go, do what they wanted to do. And does anyone not see the parallels today? Back in Nazi Germany, it was uh, show me your papers to prove that you're, you're Jewish or not Jewish. And today it's show me your papers to prove you are or not or are not vaccinated. Um, in this country, and I'm sure it's it's in other countries all over the world, I, I know for sure with the UN Human Rights Declaration, but in the United States of America, we have the natural right to travel freely. Um, in the U.S. Constitution, the specific part of the Constitution that protects this human right is the Privileges and Immunities Clause, which protects the freedom of movement. Um, obviously using a, a vaccine to allow people to move not only across state lines which is one thing but to literally move around in your own communities uh, is the absolute basis of, of tyranny and if you don't see that you re- really need to just you know look at things objectively look at read some history and and just see um, you know what's really going on uh, I'll put a challenge out there for you. Please find an instance in history where the government has assumed the authority and control and power that it has today and it has given it back to the people. When in history have human rights been systematically removed, constitutional rights systematically shredded and destroyed, and the ruling authorities eventually, you know, whenever the quote crisis ended, they they gave it back to the people. The answer, I could save you some time, but I challenge you, but the answer is it never, it never happens. Because the, the, that old adage, the old saying, uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. They've done studies before that say that uh, polit- politics naturally attracts people with sociopathic and psychopathic tendencies. And I go to the, the late and great Charlie Chaplin for this one. He said that uh, you only need power to do things that are evil. If it's good, then love is enough. And, and that's, that's the basis of volunteerism, or, or what I refer to as, uh, as Christian anarchy. Um, anarchism is a peaceful, nonviolent ideology um, that is depicted in, in a very negative way in mass media um, and whenever it's in, talked about on TV and, and, and that sort of thing. Most people, if you talk to them about anarchism or anarchy, uh, the first images they have in their head are of people wearing masks, you know, black masks, uh, throwing Molotov cocktails, breaking, you know, injuring people, damaging property, that sort of thing. And, and the, in reality, that's it's actually the exact opposite of anarchism. Anarchism is predicated on um, voluntary transactions and respecting uh, private law, which is essentially common law, uh, something that used to be respected in this country and all over the world, but with the corporatization of governments, uh, if you don't know about that, research the Act of 1871 in the United States of America, but to sum it up, uh, governments were originally instituted to protect private rights, and they were set up uh, according to private, uh, aka uh, common law, um, in order to protect these rights. But then throughout history, 
um, as the powers that be, the the financial elite that that have whirled throughout history, but to continue to rule uh, rule today, um, they used a number of different events in history to uh, capitalize uh, on um, the, the 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 vacuum of power at the time and uh, transition society into a, a new era. Um, that, that fits their vision. So the Act of 1871 um, effectively transitioned the United States of America into a corporation known as the United States. Um, if you've never read, and I'm sure you haven't, uh, Title 26 of the U.S. Code, which is the Internal Reven- Revenue Code, Schedule A, um, 26, Title 26, Section 7701, a, 9, and 10. These are the definitions of the Internal Revenue Code. Uh, the United States is defined as the District of Columbia in, um, in A, 9. And then in A, 10, um, it, it defines the term state because it says the District of Columbia and, and uh, the states. State is further defined as also the District of Columbia. So it's a, it's a long, long, long... They're called words of art. They're deceptive words of art. Um, these are legal words that, in regular common language, have multiple meanings. But with regard to law, you can never uh, presume anything. Uh, a definition has to be clearly defined so that all parties engaged, usually in the contract, uh, they basically can have a, have a good understanding of what is actually being uh, agreed upon. So. Just because when we use the term United States, we, you know, in society naturally assume that people are talking about the continental, you know, 50 uh, states of the Union uh, that occupy, you know, the, the middle part of North America and, you know, Hawaii and Alaska. Just because that is how we use it in common language, that does not mean with regard to law that that is the same case. Enter the definitions of the Eternal Revenue Code. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, again... If you've ever read the Declaration of Independence, the line that I always go back to, it says, The governments were instituted among men, deriving their just power from the consent of the governed. Let me ask you a question. When did you ever consent to the governments that rule over you? And I don't care where you're listening from. You're listening from the United States of America, from Russia, from China, from Brazil, uh, from the United Kingdom. It doesn't matter. When did you ever consent to the government that, quote, serves you or more, more specifically rules over you? The answer, again, of course, is that you never did. This consent has been implied. It may have even been coerced through, through your own ignorance. But you never signed a contract that spelled out all the terms and agreements of being treated as a citizen. You never signed that. Uh, the, the only document that in any way um, would amount to that sort of agreement is the constitution of whatever country that you find yourself in. But again, who are the only people that have ever signed the constitution of the United States of America? I'll wait. The answer, of course, is the only people that signed it are the people that that founded the document. You know, uh, you know Jefferson, uh, Adams, all those people. But they're long since dead. So, effectively, with regard to, to contract law, you have a small group of, of elites. Because, remember, back then, 
Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, all these people, they were aristocrats. They, they all came from wealthy families from England. And when they came over to the United States of America, they were tasked with creating a new, uh, a new colony of, of uh, the British Empire. But it was only after, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of small and, and, and big changes that happened in the colonies that, again, a, more of a, a vacuum was created. And um, this, going back to it, absolute power corrupts absolutely. You have a small group of, of you think of them as new, new aristocrats in this new, you know, world. They see that, hey, we can set up our own, our own, our own organization, our own country, and uh, we can, you know benefit from the the power that that goes along with it and distance ourselves further from from the british um and then that worked for a while you know we had the independence uh of, of the united states from from uh, from england but again enter uh, the civil war um and and the uh financial fallout afterwards that was where the act of 1871 came just a few short years after the close of, uh, of the civil war the united states was bankrupt and uh when they incorporated the District of Columbia via the Act of 1871, that is when it was a small change, but the Constitution of, uh, I'm sorry, for the United States of America, which was the original document, was changed to the Constitution of the United States. And not a big change, but this small change effectively created the corporation today known as the United States, which is very simply Washington, D.C. Now, how is it that that despite well let me back up again a bit so having digested all that this might blow your mind but you are effectively not a citizen of the united states if you were born in the state of the union you're born in california arizona new york uh, colorado doesn't matter even though you were born in the state of the union which is part of the united states of america as defined by the u.s constitution you are not a citizen of the United States Corporation. Now, let me say that one more time so you understand. Just because you were born in the United States of America, which specifically is State of the Union, does not mean you are a, a, a citizen of the corporation known as the United States. Now, why is that important? Well, again, this is how this is how people are controlled. Um, the biggest form of control, in my opinion, is is taxation. Um, taxation without consent is theft. There's no other way to explain that. Uh, if you if you take someone's property without their consent, that's theft. If you um, if you try to uh, have you know sexual relations with with a man or a woman without their consent, that's rape. Um, but for some reason, you know the government taking money out of your paycheck literally before you've even been given the money, so literally pickpocketing you. For some reason, that's not theft. Well, the reason why is you agreed to it, whether you realize it or not. When you elected, or more more specifically and likely, your parents, when your parents elected uh, for a social security number via Form SS4, they effectively agreed and consented to allow the United States Corporation to view you as a statutory citizen. Statutory essentially means corporate citizen. You thereby surrender all of your human rights and you are exchanged government privileges. Think civil rights. 
human rights are greater than civil rights. That's why the whole movements of, of Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, as much as you know, it did va- advance um, in many ways the life and struggle of, of, the, of the black African, it essentially kept not only black Africans enslaved, but it also made slavery equal for everyone, uh, or at least kept it that way. It used to be you could see the change that that binded you, and now you can't. You're a slave to debt. You're a slave to your social security number, to income taxes, uh, property taxes, that sort of thing. You you think you're free. You own a house. Really think you own your house, even if it's paid in full. Watch what happens when you stop paying property taxes to um, to you know to to the, the municipality that you find yourself in. They might not do anything for a few months or a year, maybe even two years, but eventually the rightful owners of said property will come and confiscate it. And they will use the monopolization of violence, aka the police, to reclaim their property from you. So there is no uh, ultimate private property rights anymore in this world. Uh, As long as you're paying uh, property taxes, you don't effectively own anything. Um... So the, the, the bigger point of all this, and this, this is how it all links to Jesus, is we're fighting the same struggle that Jesus fought back then. Um, the little bit of backstory that people don't know, or a lot of people don't know with Jesus, is that he was not the first self-proclaimed Messiah. Uh, there were a lot of people that came before him. Uh, Judas the Galilean is the one that, that comes to mind uh, most prominently for me, just because... Uh, well, one reason is he, he also shared the, shared the name of, uh, of, of Judas, who obviously betrayed Jesus. But uh, Judas the Galilean was what we call a zealot. Uh, he basically believed in, in absolute adherence to, um, to God's law, but also believed that you must be willing to put your life on the line to defend God's law and God's kingdom uh, if... if if required so um you know most people this is a very very foreign idea to many people because most people that are brought up in the christian faith are taught pacifism you know turning the other cheek and that sort of thing so the the very basis for a lot of the people around jesus's time was the exact opposite um as much flack as as the jew the jew as the jews get um you know in in media and in in comedy and print you know jokes about them being you know uh, always trying to haggle for, for, for you know a better deal or uh, having a lot of money or being you know weak that sort of thing it's all unfair because in reality is the Jews uh, historically are some of the fiercest uh, warriors this, this planet has ever seen I mean you just read the Bible the Bible talks about the Jews spilling the blood of every man woman and child and beast in some of these lands because supposedly that's what God wanted um, this is a, this is a group of people that maybe they didn't defeat the Roman Empire, but they did. <laughs> they did wage very successful uh, campaigns against the Romans, uh, following the uh, the death of James, the brother of Jesus. Um, there was a, a about a three-year violent insurrection against Rome, which resulted in the Romans, the, the forces that were there, either being killed or or fleeing. And it was only you know a short while later that Rome sent uh, would-be Emperor Titus and his legions to literally burn Jerusalem to the ground. So the basic premise of uh, one of the main things that Judas the Galilean fought against and what, what, what he essentially uh, used as his rise to power at the time was um, 
was the census. Now, today we think of the census as, oh, it's just, you know, information that's going to tell the government and, 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 you know, information it needs to know how many people live in an area so they can, you know, what do they tell? So they can have uh, the right number of elected officials um, representing them and, and get the right amount of, of uh, federal and state funding uh, based on the populations. But that's all nonsense. The ultimate historical only reason for or, uh, a census is to register people and property for taxation purposes. And that is what uh, Judas the Galilean um, revolted against. And he, uh, he rallied the Jews to also resist it. And Judas was, was I believe, beheaded. Um, but these ideas were also embraced by Jesus. Now, the, the, the classic, the classic um, story that, that I've always come into, come into contact with that, that Christians mainstream Christian theologians use to rationalize Jesus's, um, I guess, uh, being okay with taxation and paying tribute to Rome was the story of um, when he was questioned by spies of, uh, of Pontius Pilate as to whether or not they should pay tribute to Caesar. And Jesus um, very, very uh, uh, intelligently and, and, and almost with, with, with some comedy asks them to, to fetch him a denarius, which was a, a Roman coin. And they give it to him and, and he looks at it and he says, um, tell me what you see on the coin. And uh, they say, you know, an image of Caesar. And Jesus then replies and says, Render unto Caesar that which belongs unto Caesar. Render unto God that which belongs to God. Now, this quote has been used by mainstream Christian theologians to say that, oh, this is Jesus saying, hey, the money belongs to, to Caesar, so you should pay the money to Caesar. You know, give it, give it to what, what to him is to him. And God, his kingdom is in heaven. That That's God's. Well, pretend for a second that Jesus wasn't the literal son of God. And he, you know, didn't know he was going to be um, crucified and, you know, uh, raised into heaven, that sort of thing. If he was just a regular man who understood that in order to bring about God's kingdom on earth, we have to um, globally, not only on an individual basis, but collectively, we have to serve God and not serve the forces of evil or the, or the forces of man. When taken in this context, you get a little bit different meaning from this verse uh, and this is the example that I use if um, if you if you had the president of the United States Joe Biden walk in to your house with a sharpie and he starts writing his name on, on your walls he walks into your garage he writes his name on your car if I were to say tell me what you see on your car and somebody said Joe Biden's signature does that mean that it's, it belongs to Joe Biden? Well, of course not. The, the question is, render unto Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. You give to Caesar. You pay the taxes and tribute to what, what you believe belongs to Caesar. Does the money belong to Caesar? Well, technically speaking, what, before we had before we had uh, you know paper currency, and now you know in this new age of, of digital currencies, money used to be minted with gold and silver coins which are natural minerals pulled out of the out of the earth created by god 
So the way I interpret that verse from Jesus is that if you really think that this material that was pulled out of the ground belongs to Caesar, then by all means, pay the taxes. But consider what really belongs to God. Everything, for example, because God created everything. But more importantly, the context of Jesus which was talking about, the Jerusalem, Judea, that was God's promised land. So even if you want to view it in the context of, hey, the money belongs to Caesar paying the taxes and the money that he owns, Jesus was also saying, give back the kingdom of God, the promised land. Give that back to God's people. And Romans, get the F out. So that's what this long rant amounts to today with the COVID passport is the only way that we overcome is by serving God regardless of what they tell us. Going back to our natural God-given rights and standing up for them. Uh, Again, going back to the Declaration of Independence. It says, We are endowed by our Creator, given certain unalienable rights, among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Did the government create you? No? Even if you don't believe in God, who created you? Your parents did. So your parents, if you want to be literal, you're an atheist, you're agnostic, you don't believe in God, you don't believe in Jesus, any of that stuff, fine. Even if, you, even if that's true, the government did not create you. Human beings did. Life did. Life created life. So government can never give you freedom. They can only take it away from you. Ultimately, I used to for a long time think that, you know, people like me were sent to this world to save it. The reality I, I feel is in Revelation, this is not about saving people. God is not trying to save people here. He already knows who's going to be saved. This is about judgment. That's why it's called Judgment Day. But this is this is about judgment. May, will some people be saved? Yes. But overall, and I'm sure if you're listening to this and, and you're already kind of awakened to some extent, you know, I'm not wearing the mask or you don't like wearing the mask, you're not going to get the shot, you, you, you're hesitant about getting it, you're already on the path. You're already saved. Maybe you haven't made the choices that will lead to that final outcome, but you're already on that path and God knows it. You know there are people that are not like you. They're, they're the exact opposite. You can hit them with every piece of fact every piece of information you can show them actual video you can show them actual pdf documents that were scanned that have actual sources you can show them whatever you want you know phds talking about it mds talking about covid and stuff like that saying that it's a it's a fraud you could you could show them every piece of damning information and evidence available and they still won't get it they still won't believe they'll still cover their eyes more specifically their face and their nose and and there's no hope for them because they are already lost. They've already pledged their allegiance. I'm talking to the people that are on the fence right now. And also, I mean, everyone that, that, that has made that choice. But to anyone that has any amount of fear left in your heart, I always tell people, if you're afraid, it means that you need to replace that, that, they, that, you need to replace that fear with faith. If you're afraid, it means you don't trust God enough. And that's where we are. I don't know how this ends. A lot of people like to talk about the rapture. Did you know that only, I think it's like 5 or 10% of Christians on earth believe in the rapture? So these, if you've ever seen those movies like Left Behind, it's 
absolute Hollywood gibberish nonsense, okay? There is nothing in the Bible, in the scriptures, anything about people just magically disappearing. If anything, the, the believers are going are gonna to have to face some trials and tribulations during this time, and that's the ultimate test. But what I do know, and maybe I don't know the ultimate end game and how this comes about, I do know that God will protect you. Even if your body is killed, even if you are forced to, you know, thrown into one of these, these COVID camps or, you know, any of these things are talking about, even if the worst of the worst happens and you're literally persecuted for your faith, what did Jesus also say? The, the, this world is temporary and the kingdom of God, your reward will be great in the kingdom of God. So let's, let's just switch gears a little bit. Now let me explain a little bit my uh, my faith um, with regard to, to Jesus not being the literal Son of God. So mainstream Christi- Christian theology says that Jesus was crucified and rose on the third day and that he taught his disciples for 40 days. Then he disappeared from, a sight, from their sight in a cloud and ascended into heaven sitting on the right hand of God. Great. That's what we were all you know taught to believe. Did you know, though, that this is contradicted by the second century tradition that Jesus actually spent many years on earth after his resurrection? Uh, Father Irenaeus asserts that Jesus lived between 10 and 20 years after his crucifixion. This is a, a quote from Against Heresies, page 180. On completing his 30th year, he suffered, being in fact still a young man and who by no means attained an advanced age. Now that the first stage of early life embraces 30 years, and that this extends onward to the 40th year, everyone will admit. But from the 40th and 50th year, a man begins to decline toward old age, which our Lord possessed while he still fulfilled the office of a teacher, even as the gospel and all the elders testify. Those who were conversant in Asia with John, the disciple of the Lord, that John conveyed to them that information. So already some of the some of the somebody from the second century was already talking about the fact that Jesus didn't die and just rise into the heaven. He was around for about 20 years, potentially. This is also supported by the third century Gnostic text, Pistis Sophia. I quote, It came to pass when Jesus had risen from the dead that he passed 11 years discoursing with his disciples and instructing them. So already, there's evidence that says, you know, biblical evidence people that, that, that consider themselves Christians, there's evidence that says that Jesus did not just disappear after, resurre- after he was resurrected. That he was actually, you know, living and walking around on earth for a long, long time. Did you also know that in 1877, a, a Russian journalist and author named Nicholas Notovich discovered an ancient Buddhist manuscript was explicitly stated where Jesus was during the last 17 years of the Gospels. He was in India and various parts of Asia. This uh, was pu- These findings were published in a book called The Unknown Life of Jesus Christ in 1894. Uh, Nicholas Notovich tra- traveled to the Hemi's convent where the chief lama mentioned among the many scrolls at Hemi's, quote, are to be found descriptions of the life and acts of the Buddha Isa, who preached the holy doctrine in India um, among the children of Israel. Uh, Isa is a uh, uh, is a translation of uh, Yeshua. Uh, the Muslims also refer to uh, Jesus as Isa. 
Um, and uh, to this day, there is a shrine in uh, Sharanghar, Kashmir, that is the tomb of uh, Saint Isa. So it's possible that Jesus was actually buried <laughs> in in uh, in Sharanghar in Asia. Uh, I, I always think I say that right. Is it Srin- Srinagar? Srinagar? I don't know. Srin- Srinagar, I think is how it's pronounced. Anyways. Um, quote, according to the Lama, the documents brought from India to Nepal, then to Tibet, were originally written in Pali, the religious language of the Buddhists. The copy at Himis had been translated into Tibetan. The chief Lama produced two large bound volumes with leaves yellowed by time and read aloud the sections dealing with Isa. Notovich's interpreter translated the text, which the Russian journalist carefully wrote in his notebook. The biography of Isa, according to Notovich, was comprised of isolated verses which were untitled and scattered out of sequence throughout the text. The Russian author grouped the verses and put them in order, and then published the document several years later along with his account of the discovery. When you read these Buddhist manuscripts, it it paints almost an identical picture of the Gospels with a couple very important uh, discrepancies. Jesus secretly left his father's house when he left with a caravan of merchants traveling east to study the laws of the great Buddhas. Uh, Isa was 14 when he crossed a region in present-day Pakistan in the lower Indus River Valley and established himself among the Aryas, a likely reference to the Aryans who migrated into the Indus Valley beginning in the second millennium BC. Uh, Jesus spent six years studying and teaching at Juggernaut, Rajagriha, Benares, etc. He got into a conflict with the Brahmins and the Kshatriyas by teaching the holy scriptures to the lower castes, the Vaisyas and the Sudras, which were the, the farmers and merchants, and the Sudras were the peasants and laborers. The Brahmins said that the Vaisyas were only allowed to hear the Vigas read during festivals, and the Sudras were not allowed to, to hear them at all. They weren't even allowed to look at them. Isa instead preached against the Brahmins and the Kshatriyas, and the priests and warriors plotted to put Isa to death. Uh, Isa later returns to Israel at the age of 29, and there is no resurrection. Pontius Pilate is the one who plotted against Jesus, while the Jewish priests found no fault in his teachings. Now, okay, some random guy found these discoveries, you know, but that, okay, I, I hear you, that just doesn't, you know, whatever, that doesn't have a lot of substance. But whoa, 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 wait a second. The Times, in June 4th, 1894, conceded that the documents that Notovich was dealing with were likely genuine. Quote, It is to be remembered that we may have here authentic documents without having authentic records. Notovich's discovery is, nevertheless, worthy of attention that it is attracting and of the discussions whereof it is the subject. So Max Mueller, professor of modern European languages and comparative philology at Oxford University, said Notovich was a fraud. He was, in fact, probably Notovich's fiercest... Um, detractor. He claimed Moravian missionaries and English officers made inquiries and reported that no Russian by the name of Notovich had passed through Ley, and no one had been at the Himis Monastery seeking medical attention, as Notovich claimed. He said he fell off a horse and uh, broke his leg, and, and um, they ended up taking him to the monastery for medical attention. Now, Notovich defended himself until death. First, he tried to explain why the Lama at Himis uh, when later asked to verify the existence of the manuscripts, refused to do so. Uh, he claimed Orientals tend to see Westerners as robbers and would interpret inquiries about a manuscript tantamount to an admission that they wished to carry it off. So basically, hey, if you come 
if if Western you know if Europeans come looking for something, they probably want to take it, especially if it's something that seems important. His own success in the matter was the result of his use of what he called Eastern diplomacy, which was an indirect approach which veiled his real interests and allayed their fears. So, in other words, he asked about the manuscripts without really asking about them. He made, you know, small talk about oh, how beautiful the, 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 the convent is and asked questions about the history and maybe personal questions, that sort of thing. And then later, you know, hey, but by the way, I would heard about, um, you, you guys have heard about uh, this guy named Jesus, right? And he kind of just let them do the talking without really asking about it. So, second, in response to the allegations that he never went to Himes, Notovich provided the names of various people who could, who could verify his presence in the region, including Dr. Karl Marx, a European physician employed by the British government who treated Notovich at Ladakh. These were all, all these, all these names that he gave actually verified that he was where he said he was and when he, when he said he was there. Uh, third, Max Mueller also says the manuscripts weren't listed in the Tanjur or Kanjur, which is true. Uh, however, Notovich points out that Mueller's own statement admits that there are only 2,000 volumes listed despite more than 100,000 existing. It would have been very difficult to find since they were written in more than one book without a title. On April 19, 1896, the New York Times took note of Notovich's, quote, bold and rigorous defense, end quote, which, quote, while it did not convince his critics, it more or less silenced them, end quote. So now enter a guy by the name of Swami Abhedananda, who was a close friend and acquaintance of Max Mueller. This man traveled to Leh and the Hemis Monastery and confirmed the writings of St. Isa on October 4th, 1922. So the uh, friend and acquaintance of Notovich's biggest critic went himself to the same place and verified the authenticity of the documents and the stories that Notovich was was telling. Um, We also have Nicholas Rorsch, who has quoted the exact same verses uh, in his 1929 travels to Himis. And then 10 years later... Uh, in 1939, Madame Elizabeth Kaspari was presented with the exact same manuscripts seen by Nicholas Notovich by the chief librarian at the Hemis Monastery. And there's actually pictures. She took pictures of, of this, of the manuscripts. So why do I bring this up? Well, consider for a moment that everything you learn about Jesus is false. Consider for a moment the possibility that Jesus was a regular man just like me and you. Even if you're a woman, you're a woman. Okay. And that we are all sons and daughters of God. There is no second coming. Jesus is not going to ride in on a magical white horse and save everyone, you know, like in a cartoon fairy tale. We have to put our lives on the line, our souls, I would say more specifically, and be willing to stand up for what is right. We have to be willing to stand up for God. Not Jesus, for God. Because Jesus himself said we are, so, we are supposed to to serve only one master. If you're worshiping Jesus, you're serving two masters because Jesus is not the same as God. And if you disagree there, read up the history of how the divinity of Jesus was voted upon. Research the Council of Nicaea, which was uh, called by Roman Emperor Constantine and where about 300 Roman bishops, not a single Jew, all Romans, voted on and decided the divinity of Jesus. 
It was not unanimous. There were people like the Arians who objected and said he wasn't the son of God. And these people were killed, exiled, or their teachers were violently uh, repressed and persecuted. A couple years later, I think it was two, two, 20 or 30 years later, the, camp, uh, the Council of Hippo Regis, uh, again called by the Romans, was when they came, formally canonized the Bible. So they, they decided what books would be uh, added and omitted from the Bible. There's a lot of information to digest. I suggest you re-listen to the parts that are most interesting to you. Keep your eyes out for the COVID passport. Very quickly, it's going to change. It's going to be first on your phone or on like a printout. Uh, they already have something similar in LA Unified School District. Microsoft Corporation has been partnered with LA Unified. And they have what's called, I think it's called COVID Pass. And basically kids and uh, faculty members... Uh, go through this you know app every day and they they answer yes or no to this and then it gives them a green pass or a red pass you get the green pass you get a qr code that can be scanned and shows you're allowed to go to school that day um that's phase one as i've talked about in my podcast before phase two is the next generations of vaccines which are going to imprint you with a uh a quantum dot tag which is an invisible uh qr code on your hand okay again revelation talks about the mark of the beast being on everyone's hand well it's not there yet but it will be. And guess what? When it is, not only will they use it to verify your vaccination status, it will eventually be implemented to govern all transactions in your life from going to the grocery store to getting to get the boarding an airplane to, you know, even filling up your, your, your car with gas. Mark my words. If you don't, if you don't believe it, save this podcast, screenshot it, bookmark it, come back to it. I told people to do the same thing with COVID passports. I was called a conspiracy nut. Guess what? Conspiracy theory. Once again, proven conspiracy fact. Thank you for listening. May God bless you as God continues to bless me. I am Neo, and this is The Matrix is Real.